Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. Women especially are given feedback early on that it's unappealing or unladylike to speak too loudly or to ask for what you want or you'll, you'll come off as pushy. So we come around like, oh, I don't want to be misunderstood. So we hide ourselves. So I think if you really want to change that, you have to remove the shame. And to do that, you need to start to make the voice in your head louder and more audible and drown out everybody else's opinions and what they expect of you. I spent the first part of my life with that loop. You know, what do they want me to do? What do they expect? You know, I was really a people pleaser. I didn't even recognize that girl today. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet you. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's author, podcaster, mom of four, and change junkie, Monica Berg. She's the author of Fear is Not an Option, and she talks about what we could actually do with our lives and the potential that we have for our lives if fear was not in the driver's seat. Fear is universal. We all deal with it. She talks about the different types of fear and how we can release it to live big. She talks about how women play it small because we don't want to seem like a bitch. We have shame about what we want, so we don't ask for it. Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this episode. And please do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show and would help me so much. And subscribing would help you because you'll get an alert every time a new episode episode drops. Here is my episode with Monica Berg. I want to get into the book, talk all about fear, but I think there's only one place to start. We have a ton in common. We grew up in a family of just daughters and we both struggled with eating disorders. And I kind of wanted to start there. I know you struggled with anorexia for five years. What sparked that struggle and at what age? I think the first time I ever thought about body and how I felt about my body was when I was 12 and, um, I'm the middle, uh, sister. I was going to ask, are you also, I'm the, I'm the firstborn and I was going to go there and be like, I thought it was just cause I was a firstborn perfectionist, but no. Okay. I was a perfectionist. I, I try to <laughs> not be one anymore. Um, I'm embracing the messy life, but, um, and my older sister, she had asked me to go out to dinner with her and she is four and a half years older and she was in high school. And I just felt so, you know, I looked up to her at the time and I was like, oh, she wants to be with me electively. That's amazing. And anyway, after dinner, we walked home. And as we got to our block, I started to sprint ahead. I mean, I, I hadn't even gone through puberty really yet. I was like still very, you know, much a boyish figure very athletic. And, um, I started to do cartwheels for the rest of the way until I got to the door. And when she finally caught up to me, she's like, Oh, I, I see it starting. And I said, what? And she's like, cellulite. I said, what's cellulite? Like I was just not in that world. I didn't care. And I was like, Oh my God. And so I looked it up and I'm like, Oh my God, not that. I thought it was some kind of disease that was going to plague me. Um, oh. so I think that was the the first, but of course I can't, there's no blame in this. I think no. we know it's genetic and there's triggers. Um, yes. My parents, uh, you know, were going through a financial, very financial, very difficult financial time. They, there's a lot of fighting in the house, um, between them. I, I went to Beverly Hills high school. There was that pressure of being a certain way, being a certain size. And I was actually always, you know, fit. It wasn't yeah. even, it didn't come from, you know, I dieted or, or I was, it was just really a lack of self-love at the end of the day and a need to control what felt like it was uncontrollable, which was my life. Um, 
So that was the first, then, then the real warning, which again, we missed, it went over all of our heads was when I was 17 and my friends were going, they were all going away to university and my parents were Middle Eastern and they felt that you can't leave the house until you're married. And uh, so that just made me hopeless. I was like, why even try in school at the time? You know, it's like, I'm stuck here. They just talked about one thing, which was marry a good man. And like, where's the rest of my life? You know, so I, um, anyway, it was spring break senior year and I went with five of my girlfriends to Hawaii. And I think that the pressure of also being in a bathing suit all week and being with my peers was a lot, but the, the real underlying thing was I felt completely out of control. Like I had no control about what I could do, where I could live, where I could go to school and everybody was going off to live their lives. And I felt left behind. And so that one week alone in Hawaii, I lost seven pounds. Oh and, um, I remember my friends looking at me, like we went to the corner store, they got snacks and junk food as teenagers would. And I bought nothing and there was no food in the room. And so they saw exactly what I ate, which obviously was not much if you could lose seven pounds in a week. Um, and then I was okay. You know, I, I kind of regulated again. And then a year later, it was a full blown eating disorder. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, I shared it in my book and at the time that I wrote it, I didn't know anyone else um, that struggled and my eating disorder started with anorexia. It evolved to exercise bulimia and then to full-blown bulimia. But when I saw that you came from a family of just daughters, again, I assumed firstborn, but none of my sisters struggled. And I know that anorexia has a lot to do with your environment, but you also have to be genetically predisposed. So my mom, not that I blame her, always being on diets, it only affected me. Like none of my three younger sisters struggled like I did. And I was just such a perfectionist, obsessive personality. I was like, whatever it is, eating disorder, I'm all in. Like I remember there was a time, Monica, I wouldn't eat carrots because it was a starchy carbohydrate. I would come home from school and make myself nap because it was hours that I wasn't eating. And it probably my sister seeing me as the oldest struggle, like it kind of veered them away from that maybe, but nobody struggled. And when I saw all sisters, I was like, I wonder if it's the same thing. And going off that, because it is, you are genetically predisposed. How do I make sure that my daughter who is the firstborn doesn't get this? How old is your daughter, by the way? Six and a half. Um, so I have four children. I know. <laughs> and they're a really wide range. Um, my oldest is 23. My youngest is nine. Wow. So I can I give you advice here, actually. I also want to answer your first question. Um, I think a lot of it is personality type. I'm a Virgo. So I'm really, I'm type A. And, and I've, and I've, I've been studying spirituality since I was 17. So I've worked really hard to change parts of my nature that don't work for me. So I really, when I said I embrace a messy life and I call myself a change junkie, I've really thrown myself into a whole different reality because I was not happy trying to pursue the impossibility of perfection because it doesn't exist. I have two boys and then two girls. And I can tell you which ones have the gene. I can tell. And now they're not going to develop an eating disorder because they're growing up in a different environment. We have a community that we're part of. They see a beautiful relationship between their father and me, and we don't argue in front of them. Um, we speak respectfully. We encourage them to pursue their dreams, even if it even if it's not what we have in mind for them, we raise our kids with the idea that whatever you're supposed to do, 
as long as you're safe, right? And, and it's a good decision, we support it. But there was one thing in life you have to be, and that's kind, right? So everything's under this umbrella where they have a big sense of purpose of world and hopefully how they can contribute to, to the world, right? And to do that, you have to love yourself. So I think all of those things, the remedy, I think to avoid, right, is, is role model well and teach them how to love themselves. And you do that by respecting them and their journey, not controlling your child. Because when you try to control them, what's going to happen is the same thing's going to repeat itself. Exactly. They'll rebel against it. It's just, I mean, I think about how I grew up with no social media. I mean, we had like the magazines at the stores where it was like airbrushed, like rail thin models, but no social media. And my daughter won't know life without social media. And I share this story in my book. I sat behind a reality star on a plane and I don't even know what she was using at the time. And this was years ago, but it was a picture. She was working on a picture of herself in a bathing suit and she was like blowing it up and then just like taking a little off her thigh, a little bit. Wow. Off her arm. That's Monica, so cool that you saw that in real time. I just time. got like through the seat. I watched her 30 minutes work on it and I'm like, she's going to post it. I, like I was like, what am I even watching? I wasn't even a mom yet. And she did post it, got hundreds of thousands of likes as gross as it is that she is putting something out there that a 14 year old girl is going to be like, Oh, if I just starve myself a little more, if I work a little bit harder, I can get as skinny as this person is. It's made up. It's not even real. This, I think the even sadder part is this rail thin model didn't feel confident enough to post a picture of her own body. Like she didn't even have the self-confidence. She thought that she had to take, I'm just, it, it was so that's crazy. Sickening to watch. And I thinking about my daughter now and how I struggled, it's like, I will not let it happen. And I'll catch myself because she's only six and a half. Or she's my first, just like little things like cleaning her plate. Like if she's not eating, she'll always try to clean her plate to get a treat. I want food to be neutral. And she puts it on a pedestal. Like, oh my gosh, you did so great. You read that book. She's like, can I get a treat? And I'm like, we how no, this? No. Yeah, no, that's curious. Yeah, I know. Um, with my kids, um, first of all, I think because my mom, her whole thing was if she ordered dessert, it was next to her and she'd put the for and I as a kid, I was like, why, why is she doing that? You know, she can't reach it. And she finished the whole thing, but it was like, so it was already like there's shame and yes. eating something sweet, you know? And then the house, it was only like orange chocolate covered oranges, right? I hate orange and chocolate. Like I just, I was like, this is not a treat, you know? Yeah. So, but I taught my kids early on that you can have what you want, but dessert doesn't have to be chocolate every day or it doesn't have to be ice cream every day. Sometimes it could be berries with whipped cream or sometimes it's a lollipop or sometimes you're not going to want anything at all. So when my youngest, this happens all the time, you know, can I have dessert now? That's like her first day. I said, well, how do you feel? Are you still hungry? Are you full? Do you think that you just really want sugar and that in an hour you're going to be hungry again? Really? What is your body telling you? Because I never had anybody tell me to be intuitive with my eating and to give myself right. permission to say, okay, I want this and be able to give it to myself. So I think that's number one. Okay. Um, I don't like things like cleaning your plate because you're doing the opposite. You're telling them, don't listen to your body. Don't just, go it's, you know, and so what if then they're at somebody's house and they don't even like the food, but they have to clean their plate because that's the belief system they have. Yeah, and I also don't think food should be reward. Nothing else like is enticing enough for her. She wants a, like a treat, but I mean, she'll take like a 15 calorie popsicle. Like it's not that though. It's the relationship with food. I wouldn't. Exactly. I don't want her to think she's earning That's I, I'm just trying to be cognizant of it. And I don't want to be too overly like, 
conservative about things. Like, I, I just, I don't want to mess her up. <laughs> like, Here's the thing. I, I think you have fear around it. And if you I have do. fear, you're going to make a mistake, yeah. which you can change because, but fear, you're right. Fear is not an option. Fear is not an option. Um, <laughs> fear is going to have you operate from not even your own sense of truth. It's going to become from something external outside of you. And it's going to misguide you for sure. Yes. So I think that set her up ahead of time. If she is reading a book and she's like, and I treat after say, read the book because it's something that you want to do or that you need to do. Yeah. And if you, and if you, the, the reward is you're going to feel proud about yourself or proud of who you are. And then you can say, but I'm really proud of you also. Maybe let's set a goal. If you read three days in a row or you read three books, then we'll go to the store and you could pick something out. Or we can find another book that you love or, you know, a sweater or a t like when she sees other things she likes, you're going to put on a list for her and then she can check them. So it becomes a different way of self-care, rewarding, recognizing self. Food should just be when you're hungry and it's okay to have sugar and sweets if it feels good in your body. When it stops okay. feeling good, it's not good for you, right? But that intuition part, I think is really important. I remember when my third child, right? My first daughter, because for me, that was what, it, and I think that's what's happening for you. With my boys, I didn't feel worried and I didn't, um, but with my daughter, and that was the third one, right? I, all these memories that I hadn't had before started coming back. And I remember one Halloween, we went trick-or-treating. She was probably like seven. And we stopped in a frozen yogurt store at the end of the night. And I took her to the bathroom and she started to pinch her stomach and saying, oh. look, this is, um, am I, why doesn't my stomach look like yours? Am I fat? And I, I, I went to where I went into complete fear, panic mode. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's not going to end. So after I let myself feel that that's when I really proactively decided how I was going to get in front of this. And so when I started having conversations with her that you need this body to last you your entire lifetime, you need it to show up for you. You need to love it. You need to appreciate it. Don't take it for granted. Everybody looks different and that's what makes us unique. And you know, to really start to build a positive voice in our head around body image. I love it. And you mentioned fear. We're going to, we're going to go into it. Um, fear is, is not an option is your book. You talk about three types of fear. One you want to have, and that is healthy fear. So like, yeah. don't stick your hand in fire. We need that. But what are the other two? <laughs> so, there, well, there's two that you have to, um, that will come up in life. They're part of life. And there's one that's completely ridiculous. So there's healthy, real, and illogical. So healthy is like you said, it's set up for survival and protection. We need it. On some level, it protects us. Intuition falls under that umbrella as well. Um, so you want to be able to recognize when that kind of fear comes up for you. As you said, if you're walking on a, you know, a, too close to the edge of a cliff, yep. your heart starts beating. That's good. Right. Take step back. You're in danger. Mm -hmm. uh, real fear is as it sounds, it's based on things that do happen, like losing our loved ones or aging or illness. So the way that that fear has a negative hold on us is that we spend so much time ruminating about when that day will happen. Yep. So for instance, people are very often afraid of losing their parents, especially adults, right? Their parents are older, let's say, I mean, kids are too, but let's, let's fast forward that. And a lot of people just think about that so much and they're stuck in that. And I say, use that thought as a motivator for change, as a motivator for connection. So instead of thinking about the day you will lose them. Think about when you're with them, how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, tell them, create experiences. So when that day will come, you have all of those beautiful memories and you know that they 
loved you and that you loved them and they knew it because you said it and you experienced it. Same thing with illness or aging, maybe you need to change your lifestyle or exercise. I mean, there's so many things we could do with that fear. Constructively instead of just sitting with it. (laughs) Right. And so it's necessary because it creates change if you do something with it. And the last is illogical. And that's really like 97% of all of our fears would fall into that bucket. And I do this exercise with a lot of people where I have them say their three biggest fears, and then I have them rate them healthy, real, illogical. They're usually wrong, right? And in the end, most of them are illogical. And the one that might be real or healthy, then they're able to reframe it. So it's a really great exercise. But Um, illogical is like fear of elevators, heights, spiders, public speaking, rejection, failure, all those things that if we feed the fear, we are going to stop our lives. If you're afraid of flying, you're not going to travel, which means you won't have experiences, which means you won't have a new perspective, which means you'll probably live every day of your life. Like you did the day before. We're not meant to live like that. Right. If you have a fear of elevators and therefore you won't live in New York city. I mean, that was a big one for me. I had that fear. (laughs) And my nine-year-old now has that fear, which is really interesting because she never saw me with the fear. I mean, there's something called epigenetics and you pick up the things that your ancestors experienced that they smoked, you will have that gene and it will affect your genes today. I mean, it's just how it works. But um, so I'm trying to help her through it. I'm like, you were born into this family. There's no way this fear is going to stay (laughs) with you. Can I ask you really quickly? Yeah. So I'm super claustrophobic, like just thinking about being like a porta potty or that kind of small space and not being able to get out. Um, you're, that's an illogical fear, even though I f- have physical, like we'll have physical reaction. Okay. That, that's but it's not thing. real. No, but that's why people take illogical fear so seriously because they feel real. Your yes. heart starts beating, your palms sweat. You start to think about every worst case scenario. It feels like you're dying. I'm thinking but about the, what you shared, the tingling when you were rocking your daughter. Do you want to share that? <laughs> so panic attack. Well, I had, so my second child was born with Down syndrome and I found out a few hours after he was born. Then I got pregnant three months later with my daughter and it's the bravest thing I think I've ever done. Um, I did that because I knew that the fear was so big that either I would have not had any more children or my body wouldn't have been able to have any more children because the fear would have told my body it's not safe to do wow. so. Yeah. So I jumped into it, um, got pregnant and I had a lot of fears come up, of course. Like, and I told my doctor, I was like, listen, this is the situation. And if this is, too, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you a lot with a lot of illogical thoughts. Mm-hmm. If you are not comfortable with that, tell me now we'll find another doctor. I mean, I looked for another doctor, but that's a whole other story. I ended up staying with him. Um, and he heard me and he was there. Cause like, if the baby didn't move enough in my mind, cause the, with Josh, you know, I didn't have as much movement, but it was only my second child. And I, it wasn't that different from the first, but anyway, so now my adrenal glands are completely shot from the shock and then giving birth. And then now I'm breastfeeding. That's a lot to happen. And, you know, 14 months. Um, so I'm rocking her in the rocking chair and I'm breastfeeding her. And all of a sudden I start to tingle my hands you know, first one arm, then the fingertips, then the other arm, then my leg, then the other leg, and then my tongue, and I start to panic. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, we're moms. We're not out on the town every night anymore. We're chasing our toddlers through our kitchen. But there are those times where you want just that little extra something. Maybe it's a girl's night, a wedding, a date night, a work event. If you're looking for that little extra confidence boost, you need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift delivers dramatic results to minimize the look of lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, those 11 lines that I have between my eyebrows. 
I use it on the bags under my eyes. Guys, it works in four minutes and delivers results up to seven hours. I've tried it. I'm obsessed. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A liftbeauty.com and use promo code margaritas. You need this in your life. Shipping is free. You get 20% off. Go to rejuvaliftbeauty.com. Explain your DNA on, on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare podcast on all podcast platforms. Now back to squats and margaritas. I was terrified and I called my parent-in-laws who were my mentors. Mm-hmm. They're not alive anymore, but, um, and they could hear the panic in my voice. And my mother-in-law is trying to be like, well, what could it be? And da, 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 like this angle of like kindness and compassion. And my father-in-law is like, Monica, do you hear me? Fear is not an option. He starts yelling at me so much so that I was like shocked out of my stupor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, and that's when I really started to challenge fear because in the end of it, by the way, I had done an Ashtanga pose that I wasn't ready to do. And I had spasms in my back and it created this reaction. But in my mind, it was like the end, you know? Exactly. And that's what you said, confronting it. So we're, when you face fear, you're supposed to challenge it, which seems like you should avoid it like that. I'm afraid of that. Let me put this over here. But you say the steps you should challenge fear. So for instance, if you look at claustrophobia, right? So you need to be able to, first of all, I mean, I give many, many tools in the book. There's exposure, right? Allow yourself to be in a small space for like 30 seconds and do it in the morning when your willpower is the strongest and then increase it over time. And you're in a safe environment, whether it's your closet, even, you know, that you, you, you practice that, but also like, what's the worst that could happen? And I think that when you tell yourself that fear is not an option, you come up with other options. So if you're in that small space, right? If you need to use the bathroom, let's say you're in a porta potty and you go in and you are thinking now, I'm so happy that I'm able to relieve my body and to be healthy and take care of myself. And I'm just focusing on that, not the space, close my eyes, you put yourself wherever you want. I mean, it's really mind over matter. And what happens when you do that, first of all, you stop collecting fears because if that's what we do, you have one fear, Tomorrow you're going to have another one. A year from now, you have another one. And if you don't challenge them, next thing you know, you're carrying all of that through life and you become a fear-based person. But also when you challenge your thoughts, you realize how powerful you are and how strong you are. So when you have fear come up, do put it in the categories, healthy, real, or illogical. And when you come to that, it's illogical, then challenge it. And it's it's so much easier to lean into something than to fight it. Because by the way, you're doing a lot of work fighting your fear. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a lot of energy also. And it's holding you back. And it's like, you go through the exercises, like what would you do if fear was like, not in the picture, not in the driver's seat. And you like have people do that exercise. And it makes me think of like women, how they don't play big because of fear. And also you don't want to like sound like a bitch. So you don't ask for what you want and you play small, that fear of like being seen as I don't know, like pushy. I feel like I'm that way. I'm such an appeaser. Like how should women put aside fear and live big? 
it really comes to feeling shame, shame. I call it shame of wanting. So women, especially are given feedback early on that it's unappealing or unladylike to speak too loudly or to ask for what you want, or you'll, you'll come off as pushy and, you know, the B word you're like, you know, you just this whole, so we come around like, Oh, I don't want to be misunderstood. So we hide ourselves. So I think if you really want to change that, you have to remove the shame. And to do that, you need to start to make the voice in your head louder and more audible and drown out everybody else's opinions and what they expect of you. I spent the first part of my life with that loop. You know, what do they want me to do? What do they expect as a, you know, I was really a people pleaser. I didn't even recognize that girl today. And when I stopped, I don't, I never, ever feel shame or guilt or blame anymore because those that doesn't, the only reason to have any negative emotion is to show you something about yourself. It's to take you to understand something. You feel something negative. Okay. Why am I feeling this? What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to change? So now that I, I approach life like that, I mean, really, there's no room for those emotions, those shame and guilt. You're just beating yourself up about it, and no change really occurs. So if you allow yourself to hear what you want, you know what you desire, and then you're not afraid to ask for it, then this is not going to be an issue anymore. Was there just a moment like what changed it for you where you don't even recognize that girl anymore? What moment were you like, no, I'm not going to live this way anymore because I can't say that I'm there yet. I'm still like appeasing everyone. No, I, I couldn't do that anymore. I, for me, really, um, it was so with anorexia. I and I'm, I, I would, I want to hear your story about this too, your perspective. But for me, and for most who suffer with any kind of eating disorder, I couldn't see myself for years. Right? People kept saying, "Oh, you've lost so much weight," and I'm like, "Yeah, a few pounds." And then I'd see their face look at me like I was completely crazy because I was like a skeleton, right? Yeah. Um, but I couldn't see it. It's a I mental see illness. It. People think it's like physical because you're skinny. It's a mental illness. You don't see it. And it's confusing because many people are like, wow, you look great. Other people are like, oh, yes, you look sick. And, and it's like, well, what is it? You get attention. Um, and and the, well, I remember I was wearing a, a white bathing suit once. We were in Lake Tahoe and uh, I went with my mom and it was, I think it was also spring break. I don't know. It was really crowded the pool, a lot of young people. And everybody's like, oh, are you a, a swimsuit model? And it was just, it was confusing, you know? And on the other hand, my mom's like, you're not eating, you're starving yourself. Um, look, <laughs> I don't know. It looks pretty fine to everybody else. So that was again, that everybody else. And, and on top of it, I couldn't see. So how could I have an opinion for myself about myself when I couldn't even trust what I, what I saw? So it went on like that for quite some time. And I remember one morning I went to the bathroom and I had this big white t-shirt I wore to sleep that went down to my knees and I did my morning routine, which was the pinch test. So I'd pull my shirt up and I take, you know, my skin. I looked what well, the way I looked at it was like a big, you know, a lot of fat. It was not, it was like skin yeah. uh, between my index finger and my thumb and as I'm doing it, all of a sudden, for the first time I could see, like I actually saw what I looked like. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was horrified. And I the thought was, oh my God, you did this to yourself. Look what you've done. And that that reality, that understanding, I remember started screaming to my mom to come in the bathroom. And she's like, what? I mean, she kept thinking my heart was going to give out at that time running in. What, and I said, Oh my God, what did I do? I was hysterical. What? And I knew from that moment, one, that I needed help and that I had a problem. Um, and I knew that I, I would probably see a different version next time I looked in the mirror, but that I couldn't trust it. So 
that was the first time where I realized that if you don't learn to love yourself and you don't learn to remove shame and to not be afraid to ask for you what you want and to not, and to finally become enough for yourself. I, I mean, I understood all of that. It was like a download. I call it the gift of sight. And I had a lot of work to do after that. It did not change overnight by any means, but that was when I really decided that, you know, I want to live. And I, in order to do that, I need to get rid of all those things. And that's why I think having anorexia at that time was such a blessing because most people go through their whole lives, never changing that part of themselves. You know, I know people in their seventies that still have shame and, and still don't feel like they're enough and still don't feel like they're deserving of goodness. It was the greatest thing that happened to me, but I did something with it. Yes. And it's still like for so long, I was like, I don't throw up my food anymore. I'm healed. I wrote a book. I was like, oh, here's how I got rid of that. And thank God nobody found out. And it's so funny. I was speaking with Gabby Bernstein and I, so I read all her books and like happy days. She says, um, shift the shame from your past by speaking your truth in the present. And that's exactly what happened. I wasn't doing it anymore, but the shame of it, I was still carrying because I never acknowledged it. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, thank God nobody found out. And I thought not doing the act anymore. It had been like 17 years, like I'm healed, but I didn't go to treatment. And I don't know if I'll always have like the mental, I was still carrying the shame. I wasn't doing it anymore. Um, And I finally writing my book, not even getting it back to my editor yet. It was like, I put it on paper, it got out to the universe and I could breathe. I was just like, oh, and that is when everything shifted and you talk about spirituality like i again learning that i was going to go speak with gabby i was like let me try to be a little bit more spiritual (laughs) and opening my eyes up to it monica like i haven't even said this on my show yet i'm starting a foundation because there is this blue butterfly that like if you would have told me this a year ago i would have been like okay like it's a coincidence this butterfly every i won't say every day Let's, let's say six days a week it sits outside a blue and black butterfly right outside my front door. I'll come out, it will sit with me. And I'm like, I see it. What I put on Instagram was like, what is this? And they're like, that's the same one. I started timestamping. I'm like, it's back. It's back. What does this mean? And I'm Googling blue and black butterfly and everybody's like transformation. And yes, I have transformed. I found self-love at 37 after having two kids no longer. um, Because through my bulimia, I had no self-worth. I dated my husband when he was at the prime of his career in the NFL. And I kept thinking like, I couldn't see why he was with me. I was like, I I just didn't have any confidence. Finally found myself and now this butterfly and I have a blue butterfly tattoo on my back. So I'm like, it's so weird that it's always a blue butterfly. You had the tattoo before this started. I had the tattoo and then Monica, that Nashville event, I was speaking with Gabby. As soon as I get done speaking, this woman stands up and she has this book. It was actually really sad. She was like, my daughter drowned during the pandemic and we wrote a book together. She comes to me now and I was, she's like, I feel like I brought one copy and I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. I'm getting goosebumps as I say it. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And she's like, now she comes to me as a blue butterfly. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So like, it's the second thing. So I have the tattoo that, that book. And then I'm telling, I I can't wait. I want to send you videos after this. I'll be like, hi. And it comes over and it sits and it almost like gets excited when I come out and then sits every day. And my husband's like, this is, are you joking? He's like, this is getting weird. And it always come out. And I finally decided, um, I want to start a nonprofit for younger girls, like teenage girls that wasn't there. And it's what I needed. Like I had to Google what girls are uh, Googling. And it's like um, for search words, like to find my foundation, it's like cutting anorexia, suicide. I was like, I'm starting Blue Butterfly Foundation for 
girls, like people that have been through it, like you and I, to come and mentor other girls, to show them that they're not alone and that this too shall pass. It's just a season. As soon as I told like my business coach who's setting it up for me, I was like, I'm calling it blue butterfly. It left. It was like, I love that. And I know I was like, that is, I was like, she goes, well, what do we call it? I was like, blue butterfly. I was like, that's what for it is. Like, sure. It's always there. So I like got the domain and I haven't even like, this is the first time I'm talking about it. But Congratulations. Thank and you. by the way, sign me up. I will help in any way. <laughs> oh, I would Definitely. love that. I, it's, it's a passion. Like, I mean, I have a lot on my plate, but I always, <laughs> this for me to help anybody struggling generally, but this, you know, and it's younger and younger. My friend coaches, I mean, she teaches eighth grade. Three of her girl students are not in class right now because they're all in wellness facilities. They're 14. And I was I, like, I can't have this. I have to do like start a safe place for girls to come together and be like, or for people to say me too i know i felt that way and like you you will find your purpose and everything will be fine and have a safe community that i didn't feel like i had and my thought and my hope for it is that when you come to it as a child or as a teenager and somebody mentors you then you come back and be a blue butterfly for the next generation i love it so there's always people passing it along like this is a hard time in your life. I went through it too. I like I dealt with depression, bulimia. I know how you're feeling and it's going to be fine and just have like a mentor. And that butterfly, I was like, I don't know what I, I see you. I was like, what do I do? I was like, how can I help you? And it was like a joke. And then I was like, she's like, you should really get your nonprofit going. And I was like, blue butterfly, like it's done. And she's gone. Yeah, it just be, you heard the message. You really tapped in. Crazy. I, I actually recently met with a 10 year old who has anorexia. Oh no. And she, it was honestly, it was heartbreaking for me because I heard her explaining how we have felt, but in a child's voice. And that was, I didn't, I couldn't have anticipated that. Right. And she's like, you know, sometimes when I see myself, I'm bigger than I want to be. I'm bigger than like this, this, like, oh my God. Yeah. And so this is definitely, definitely needed. And, and, and why is it happening earlier? In my opinion is social media. My kids, yes. the 23 year old is, but he, he, he uses it. Like I use it work. You get in, you get out. I check it, um, once a day for that. And then I'll scroll for five minutes. Five minutes is the max. Cause all of a sudden I'll feel cause I'm very in touch with myself within five minutes. I'm like, wait, 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 what's happening. I feel my mood, my energy shifting. And then I just like, I'm not interested. It's not my girls are, are not at my, my, um, the third child, the second daughter, sorry, the first daughter, she yeah. is in college now. And she has been off social media since she was a sophomore in high school, because she started to see how bad it was for her. And I was really proud of her making this. And she's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Love she loves that. being by herself. She loves reading. She's super social. She is super confident, knows what she thinks. And I really think a big part of it was she was allowed to just grow up without comparing, without any of that external pressure. And seeing um, like a teenager, like I would love her to share that story. And yeah. Like another teenager being like, oh, I didn't, I'm off social media and be like, oh, just not yeah. feeling like you have these thoughts. And I, I, like I said, at the beginning of this, I never knew anyone that had an eating disorder. It wasn't, it was, I was so ashamed of it. Like I didn't go to treatment because I didn't want, it was the shame, like bottom line, then people would know. So if you're dealing with it and you're Googling these things to just have a space where I don't know, like everybody can just kind of, it's kind of still evolving, but like somewhere to go and not feel like you're going to therapy, but almost like retreats where women can come and share their stories that have been through it to just inspire and empower these girls that it's not, it's gonna like this too shall pass. It's only a season and everything's gonna be fine. 
I think you're looking to try to create a community, which I think is really beautiful. Um, I remember when I, so when I had that gift of sight, I went to uh, a therapist and then I also went to a nutritionist. The therapist, honest to God, she was thinner than I was and she had had anorexia before. And I was, I walked in and I was like, she's, she has it still. But I was like, okay, there, this is good for a minute for me to learn how to hear my voice. Like I used, I think all of these things, you, you need to gather tools in your toolbox to be able to combat it and to be able to get to the other side. But at the end of the day, it, it has to, it's about you. It has to, it's all, it, and we all have it in ourselves to heal ourselves. We need to be given the space and that community, that environment to be able to do it in. Yes. And that I'm actually getting ready to do a Ted talk. That's exactly like the fact that I'm going to do a Ted talk and inspire young girls to, uh, wellness and find their best selves. When I used to be crouched over a toilet every night for 10 years, it's like, once I released that, and got through it, I found my calling and my purpose. And if you're still carrying something, no matter what it is, doesn't have to be an eating disorder, maybe like trauma that happened to you in your childhood and it's not happening anymore, but you haven't acknowledged it, it's still right there. And until you're you carrying do, it. You can't, you're carrying it and you can't find your purpose. I never would have thought my purpose would be to be in the wellness space and coach women and inspire young girls. But like I found it when I released the shame. And I, had I not gone through all of that, I wouldn't have found my purpose. And so anybody that's struggling with something, it's like, it's just going to lead you to what you're really supposed to do here. And if you look at it that way, and it's like, or if you feel like something's kind of lacking in your life and you don't feel fulfilled, it's, I always say like, say out loud, whatever, what have you been through that somebody is still in? And once you say it and you release it, and then you see that you're helping other people, like you find purpose. I don't know how we've started talking about <laughs> yeah no, because that's really the gift and the challenges there there are gifts that are meant for us and if you go through the challenge and you don't try to run away from it or medicate it or um you know just rely on everybody else to fix it for you if you really sit still for a moment and allow yourself to ask those questions why is this here yes. what is the opportunity but that that's really a challenging of the belief systems that we have a lot of them are negative right so we have to start to, that's the importance of hearing your own voice when you raise that volume you're like wait this is a mean voice it's not very kind how can i heal from this space right you start to have these conversations and then you become your own friend and and that's really the purpose of life we're meant to transform and to grow into our best version. But in, in order to do that, you have to stop and see where you are with yourself. Exactly. And it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but then freedom is on the other side of that. Yes. And pay attention. It's like the universe is giving you signs. You're just not paying attention. And as soon as you start paying attention, it, I mean, it's almost scary that I'm like, okay, I, I see it. Okay. Um, we talked about fear is not an option. A lot of moms listen to this podcast and I know you have a children's book, the gift of being different. Can you talk about that real quick? Yes. Uh, it's super exciting. So my fourth child, um, we found out has dyslexia and she is so smart, but she couldn't read with proficiency till the third grade. And that's when we got her into a different school, but <laughs> I really wanted to, um, find the best way to tell her. So I wanted to educate myself and how she learned. I got books to read about it, really wanted to see the world as she saw it. And before I could have that conversation with her, she came to me and said, mommy, do I need so much extra help? Because stupid. And I thought just like the thing with anorexia, just shame, everything we've talked about. I was like, oh no, no, no. My <laughs> daughter is not going to go through life feeling like that because we all feel like that on some level. So we reframed it. And she really like, after we had this epic conversation and, and it's all written in the book. Um, 
she went around the next day and she's like, I have a superpower. It's dyslexia. What's yours? And she's trained herself now to see like whatever is different about you. It's the things that we feel most shame about. The things that we try to hide about ourselves is our uniqueness. And it's really what makes us super powerful. It's a great book. It's also beautiful. Um, and it's the first in a series of 10 actually. Oh. So Fabulous. I'm going to share that. Um, my daughter is super tall, like taller than the teacher, and she's in first grade. Wow. Biracial. So <gasps> it's always like there's two things. First of all, people are like, oh my God, you're so tall. I'm always like, can we just not make that's that a thing? Not exactly. And that's her superpower. And I'm like, yeah, you're tall, like mommy and grandma. And like my friends have had conversations about race with their kids because of my daughter. They're like, well, she's darker, but she. Um, she looks like Moana. And they- why do we have to? Why do we have to limit somebody by labeling them? She no. is. What's your daughter's name? Amaya. She's Amaya. That's Amaya. it. And that you know, like this. And this book, all the books are like that. It's taking social issues, things that come up, and then teaches spirituality through it. So, like for instance, you know, we talk about potential. In the next book, it's about um, unhoused people. And it talks about having empathy and compassion and what that means, and gives Love examples. It. So, yeah. Anything else coming up for you? Always. Um, I, my husband and I have a podcast also. It's called Spiritually Hungry. Super fun. Um, so check that out too, wherever you listen to your podcast. And I'm going to send you my Blue Butterfly video. Please um, do. I really want to see it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now.